<laughs> it's Halloween week. Hope you have your spooks and charms ready. Instead of a trick, I'm going to give y'all a treat. Why don't you sit down and get settled in to listen to a spooky tale? Okay, y'all, it is Halloween night, 1974, in Deer Park, Texas. The kids and parents are going around trick-or-treating. A small group of people among the candy-hungry horde is Ronald Clark O'Brien and his kids, 8-year-old Timothy and 5-year-old Elizabeth. They were joined by their neighbor, Jim Bates, and his young boy. As they go from house to house, the group comes upon a house with no lights on, but the kids ran up to bang on the door anyway. But there was no answer. Then the impatient children run off to find another house with Jim in hot pursuit of these candy-crazy kids, leaving Ronald alone. A few minutes later, Ronald catches up to everyone and has great news. The people in the dark house were home after all and gave him huge pixie sticks for the kids. Ronald gives one to Jim's child and then another to Jim's son that is at home and not able to trick-or-treat with them that night. He gives one to Timothy, one to Elizabeth, and one from a young boy or to a young boy that Ronald recognized from their church. So it starts to rain. They had only gone a couple blocks, but everyone says goodnight and heads home. Once home, the O'Brien kids are allowed to each pick a treat from their candy hall. Timothy picks his pixie stick tube and he has to have his dad help him open it because it is stapled shut at the top. So, Ron, he helps Timothy open the pixie stick and the normally sweet and tangy powder was bitter. And Ronald grabs Timothy a glass of Kool-Aid to wash the taste out. Soon after, Timothy starts to complain his stomach is upset, and Ronald and Timothy go into the bathroom. Timothy starts vomiting and convulsing, while Ronald sits there holding his son until he goes limp. They call 911, and Timothy is rushed to the hospital. So, in an interview, Mike Hinton the former Harris County prosecutor says that it was a coincidence that he was working the police intake that night. He gets a call from the Pasadena Police Department and they told him they had had an eight-year-old boy who had been rushed to the hospital but had sadly passed en route. Mr. Hinton wanted to make get the investigation going and called Dr. Joseph A. Jahimsky the chief medical examiner from nearby Harris County. Hinton said that he explained the situation to the doctor and asked what the boys and the doctor asked what the boy's breath smelled like. After a call to the morgue, Hinton tells him that Timothy's breath smelled like almonds. It's cyanide, declares Dr. Chemsky. An autopsy proved the doctor right. Timothy had consumed enough cyanide to kill two adults. Later tests find that the top two inches of the pixie stick tube that Timothy had was packed with enough potassium cyanide to kill two full-grown adults. So officers put out in the news 
to check your children's candy, check and make sure everything looks all right, bring it to the police station, they'll clear it. And thankfully, officers were able to get the rest of the tainted candy from the other kids before any of them had had a chance to eat it. The little boy that had been rec- that Ronald had recognized from church and had given the last pixie stick tube to was found in his room holding the pixie stick in his hand, unable to get it open due to the staple that held it shut. So the staples, you know, they saved that little boy's life. Um, and the police pick Ronald up and see if, you know, just take him out and see if he can identify the house that he had got the candy from. But, you know, he, he couldn't find it, couldn't find that house. And he claimed to have not even seen who gave him the candy, just that a hand had shoved the pixie sticks at him from a crack in the door. So obviously the police think this is super suspicious and a few days go by and the cops return and are firm with Ronald this time. They're like, look, man, you know where this house is. Don't play. Y'all only went a couple blocks. Let us know what you know. And apparently it worked. Because he was magically able to pick out the house. And we are going to go ahead and take a quick break for ads. And we will be right back. Y'all, our crochet spotlight artist is Stephanie Picorni. She is the freaking crochet queen of Halloween. And let me tell y'all, Googler, her costumes are amazing her kids look badass every single year like i am in awe of her work um so y'all should follow her at facebook.com slash crochetverse ravelry.com slash stores slash crochetverse crochetverse.com at crochetverse on instagram Etsy.com slash shop slash crochetverse. And seriously, she's amazing. Y'all Google her and or go on any of these and look at her kids' costumes. They're the freaking coolest. Hey y'all, so if I get a stupid haircut, I will throw a hissy fit. So I went and saw Miss Allison Crawford and let me tell y'all something. I walked out of the salon and I started crying because my hair looked so beautiful and I felt beautiful. And I will never, ever, ever go to another stylist again. So if you want to look and feel beautiful too, uh, hit her up at 909-289-9685 or follow her on Instagram at all lowercase Allison, A-L-L-Y-S-O-N underscore Crawford, C R A W. F-O-R-D underscore hair, H-A-I-R. And y'all tip her well. She deserves it. She's just freaking awesome. All right, we're back. Well, the man who lived in that house wasn't home. So officers actually went to his work and arrested him. So at this point, it seems like the case is closed, right? But no, the guy had a thousand percent solid alibi he was at work 
and colleagues and timesheets confirmed this, and the man's wife and daughter had run out of candy early in the evening. They had turned off the lights, and they ignored the door and had went to bed early. So could you just imagine how it would have been for this poor man had he not had an alibi? It's just freaking crazy. So the gentleman and his family at the home were cleared, and the investigation takes a turn. Uh, after getting back the other pixie sticks, um, it turns out that the remaining pixie sticks had enough potassium cyanide to kill three to four adults um, in each tube. So, you know, it's it's a good thing that they were resealed with them heavy-duty staples because that one little boy that was found clutching his good lord that would have been that would have been awful so a couple days after timothy's buried the o'brien's insurance agent calls the police uh he had this gut feeling that something went right and that you know they needed to know so the insurance agent said that o'brien's wife didn't know that there were insurance policies that ronald had taken out on their children and that there were additional policies that were taken out right before halloween so when police initially talked with ronald he claimed that he didn't remember which house he had gotten the pixie sticks from right so you know the cops are already suspicious of him and they had only gone two blocks with the trick-or-treating so you know um He's like super sketch, right? And so, of course, he becomes the ultimate suspect in all of this. The police discovered that the O'Briens were in a huge amount of financial debt to the tune of over $100,000. Um, you know, and at the same time, he had been telling co-workers at Texas State Optical that he was going to come into a large sum of money. Uh, you know, he was not the most stable man. In 10 years, he had had over 21 jobs, and all of his co-workers thought that he was about to be fired from this current job. Outside of work, you know, things weren't going great for the O'Briens either. Their car was about to be repossessed, and their home was in foreclosure. So, after talking with the co-workers, uh... One of them tell police that, you know, Ronald had asked them a uh, kind of weird question and asked if anyone, just anyone off the street could ever purchase potassium cyanide. Uh, and this also matches up with what a professor at the Harris County Community College, where O'Brien was taking some classes, said that. O'Brien had asked the teacher how much poison it would take to kill specific sized animals. A local witness also come forward and says O'Brien came into his workplace right before Halloween, a wholesale chemical store, asking to buy cyanide. O'Brien was told the smallest amount he could purchase was five pounds, so he left without buying anything. A search of the O'Brien home is then conducted. The investigators find pieces of pixie stick tops along with a pocket knife that had traces of plastic and candy on the blade. 
And after, you know, they'd hear from the insurance agents, the police search, all of the policies were that were on the O'Brien children. So in January of 94, or not, sorry, sorry, not 94, 74, two policies were taken out on the kids, 10 grand each. Then the month before Halloween, uh, Ronald had taken out an additional $20,000 on each child. And days before Timothy died, another $20,000 policy was taken out on both children. So that total is $50,000 on each kid, right? And $100,000 if they had both eaten the candy. So the day after Halloween, the day after his little boy dies in his arms, Ronald O'Brien's sick ass called the insurance company and asked for his money. Like, what kind of shit is that? Ronald Clark O'Brien was arrested November 5th, 1974. Random fact, November 5th is my birthday, just not that year. Uh, He was indicted on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. And he had the audacity to plead not guilty. So... Trial starts May 5th, 1975 in Houston, and O'Brien's still claiming he's innocent. Uh, the assistant district attorney on the case, the aforementioned Mike Hinton, said, and I quote, We were all shocked that someone had killed their own son, their flesh and blood, for a lousy $50,000 life insurance policy. Honestly, that quote kind of bugs me because I couldn't imagine killing your own child, um, no matter what, I mean, I'm a, I love my daughter to pieces. Y'all know I do. She is my light in my world and she drives me freaking crazy sometimes, but I couldn't never imagine killing her. So the prosecutor, you know, has all of these witnesses that show up and they testify to, you know, asking about how, how much cyanide would be fatal and that he wanted to, you know, the other guy comes forward and said, oh, he wanted to, you know, buy some from him. And friends and co-workers say that <clears throat> before, you know, Timothy's death that O'Brien had showed an unusual interest in cyanide and was always talking about how much it would take to kill someone. The neighbor who had gone trick-or-treating with O'Brien told them that back at his house shortly after they had finished, that his son went to grab the pixie stick that he had gotten, but O'Brien jumped up and reached over the coffee table and grabbed it from the boy, saying something about it being too much sugar for at night. The O'Brien's sister-in-law and brother-in-law both testify that at the funeral for Timothy, O'Brien was talking about how he planned to use the insurance money that he was going to take an extended vacation and purchase some items he wanted. So, it only takes 46 minutes for the jury to convict Ronald O'Brien of murder and 71 minutes to agree on the death sentence. In prison, the inmates referred to O'Brien as the candy man and not in a good way. Uh... O'Brien in the hierarchy of the prison system is viewed in the lowest standard as child killers and or child molesters are not viewed well in the prison 
hierarchy. Uh, he appeals his case several times, going as far as to the Supreme Court, but all of his appeals were rejected. Um, Ronald Clark O'Brien died by lethal injection in March 1984, but he didn't leave this world without trying to get some pity. He wrote a final statement. What is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. However, we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. This execution of one of those wrongs yet doesn't mean our whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I would forgive all who have taken part in any way of my death. Also, I have offended, or to anyone I have offended in any, any way during my 39 years of life, I pray and ask for your forgiveness, just as I forgive anyone who offended me in any way. And I pray and ask for God's forgiveness for all of us respectively as human beings. To my loved ones, I extend my undying love. And to those close to me, know in my heart, or in your hearts, that I love you, one and all. May God bless you all, and may God's blessings always be yours. Ronald Clark O'Brien. P.S. During my time here, I have been treated well by TDC personnel. Well, ain't that sweet. But here's the deal, y'all. That guy is a disgusting, horrific piece of shit who ruined Halloween for everybody because I still check my child's candy, okay? But worst off, he murdered his son. How you can do that and then try and garner sympathy for yourself is absolutely horrible to me. I just, mm, I just don't understand how someone can act that way. But I'll tell y'all the best part. O'Brien's first execution date was actually set for August 8th, 1980. And his attorney, you know, petitioned for a stay of execution. The second date was May 25th, 1982. And that was postponed. Judge Michael McSpaden scheduled a third execution date for October 31st, 1982, the eighth anniversary of the crime, and offered to personally drive O'Brien to the death chamber himself. It would have been the first time Texas executed an inmate by lethal injection, and the Supreme Court delayed the date yet again to give O'Brien a chance to pursue a new trial. So, a fourth date is scheduled for March 31st, 1984, and a fourth stay on the basis that lethal injection was, quote, cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, on March 28th, a federal judge rejected this request on March 31st, shortly after midnight, was when he was executed by lethal injection. And, you know, he kept saying that he was, you know, just so innocent. But the very, very, very best part was during the execution, a crowd of 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison and cheered, yelling trick or treat, while others pelted anti-death penalty demonstrators with candy. And y'all, that is some crazy Texas shit like 
I ain't been to Texas, but I ain't gonna lie, I want to go. And quite honestly, just the fact that this horrific piece of shit of a human killed his son is mind-blowing. But I remember as a kid, my parents always checked my candy. And therefore, I have always checked my daughter's candy. And it wasn't until I was older that I'd heard this story and realized why. But we also have something in my house called candy tax. So, um, to teach crime kid about, you know, taxes and, you know, I'm a very, uh, anti kind of government type of gal. Like I ain't doing nothing reckless. Y'all NSA people calm your, calm your tits. It's fine. But taxation is theft. Um, so I go through her candy with her and, um, take, take some of the good stuff because the government takes some of the good stuff from us. So she has to learn, right? Cause unfortunately they ain't going to get rid of taxes. And as long as she's trick or treating, I ain't getting rid of candy tax. I hope that y'all have enjoyed Halloween hooked on Halloween week. Uh, I have enjoyed it. I have collaborated with some fantastic people this week. We have done some wonderful true crime cases and some wonderful legends and ghost stories. And I hope that y'all have enjoyed it. Please share with your friends, your family, everybody. Um, Thank y'all for giving me this platform to help do something fun and creative for Halloween. And... It's my favorite holiday, y'all. Y'all get out there. You trick or treat. Make sure your kid's candy is safe and you ain't getting pixie sticks from psychos. Um, Don't take out weird insurance policies on your children. Don't kill your children um, or other people's children because that's fucked up. But anyway, happy Halloween, my gorgeous, gorgeous weirdos. I love all of you. And thanks for hanging out with me. We'll get back to our regularly scheduled hot mess of a podcast here pretty soon. Thanks. Lots of love, y'all.